Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. We're our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. Amen. Now, even to the unbeliever, it's not the confession in the literal sense of who is saying, oh, I have sinned, that makes our sins forgiven. But what makes our sins forgiven is what Christ has done. So if you admit that you have sinned in the literal sense of our confession, the English language usage of the word confess, it doesn't take away sin. It has no implication on the consequences of sin. Hallelujah. Unless we see what Jesus has done for sin. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. How does this practice influence our, our worship? How does this idea of the confession of sins influence our devotion and our communion with God. And we flip through the pages of the epistles, interpreting the scriptures in the rightly, you know, in the right, in their context. And we couldn't see any, any, any of this idea of the confession of sins in the epistles. Until when we came to this first John chapter 1 verse 9, that seems to be saying that we have to confess our sins, then God will forgive us. Now, let's see some few examples of how John uses the word confession in the scriptures. Because how John presents, you know, there must be consistency, as we said previously, in theology. What, Paul, what John, rather, has been saying cannot change the idea of what he has been saying concerning the confession of sin cannot change, you know, in this verse alone. There must be consistency in theology. Hallelujah. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, and let's see the usage of the word confession. How has John, Apostle John, been using the word confession? It will help us in trying to understand and explain 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now, let's turn to 1 John chapter 1, chapter 4, rather, verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of the God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses. So we see here the same letter, the same first John. John is using the word confess. Well, let's look at how he uses it. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So confession here is confessing Jesus Christ. Confessing Jesus Christ, right? The next verse, verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, please, yes, has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is already now in the world. Hallelujah. So here, John uses the word confess to mean confess Christ. I'm not trying to explain the verse, but I'm trying to show to us the usage of the word confess. 
Hallelujah. Now let's move to verse 15 of that same first John chapter 4, verse 15. Let's see another place in the same letter. It says, whoever confesses, you see, whenever confession is brought into the conversation, the next thing we see is Jesus Christ or what he has done. That has been the consistency of the teachings and the epistles concerning the users of the word confess. So whoever confesses that Jesus is what? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is and he, he in God. Whoever admits, whoever confesses Jesus Christ as what? As the son of God. As a son of God. And what, why did Jesus, why did God come in the form of Jesus Christ? It's for the salvation of mankind. It's for, you know, the forgiveness of our sins. Is that we will have relationship with God. Is that man will become, you know, united with God. Hallelujah. So the confession here is the confession of Jesus and all that he has done. Hallelujah. Now let's look also another place where... Uh, Apostle John used the word confess. Second John chapter 1 verse 7. Second John chapter 1 verse 7. Second John chapter 1 verse 7. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess what? Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Who do not confess Jesus? Who do not confess Jesus Christ? As coming in the flesh, this is a deceiver and the antichrist. Hallelujah. So the confession here still is the confession of Jesus Christ as the one who has come in, in the flesh. And coming in the flesh is for the mission that he will save man from sin, that he will save humanity from the calamity, the consequence of sin. So in the light of these scriptures, you know, we will see clearly in scriptures, in, the, in, the, in, in these passages we've read, that when John is teaching about confession or is making reference to confession, his emphasis was on Jesus, to confess Jesus. When he talks about sins, his emphasis is on the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. So when John is talking about confession, we see him talk about Jesus Christ. And when he mentions sin, we see him talking about the blood of Jesus. As the one that cleanses us from all our sins. Never in the epistles of John did he make mention of the confession of sins for forgiveness. But rather the confession of what Christ has done for forgiveness. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright. Now we can go through other epistles, especially the epistles of Paul and the writer of the Hebrews to see also that that has been the consistency of their theology in the usage of the word confession. Hallelujah. Now let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Remember I say this every time I come here. I say the goal of every biblical teaching is that we will see evidences of the truth in scriptures. We don't just assume something and run with it. But we should be able to see proofs in scriptures about the truth of God's word. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the use of the word confess. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Confess what? The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. 
you will be saved. Confession here is making reference to what? To Jesus Christ and what he has done for sin. Hallelujah. So confession here means to agree that Jesus Christ has done what? Has taken away our sins. Romans chapter 14 verse 11. Romans 14, 11. Romans 14, 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Hallelujah. Every tongue shall confess to God. And then we'll see what the confession is in Philippians 2, verse 11. Confess to God. What do we confess to God? Philippians 2, verse 11. And that every tongue shall confess. What do we confess? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Hallelujah. Hebrews of the 3, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, the use of the word confess. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And what is the apostle? What is the confession there? Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Christ Jesus. The confession of believers is Christ Jesus. The confession of the believer is who? Is Christ Jesus. And when we say the confession of a believer is Christ Jesus, what we're meaning, what we're meaning here is that we are agreeing with what Christ has done concerning sin. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Another place in the epistles. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our word. Our confession, and this confession is talking about what Jesus, seeing that we have a high, a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to this confession. Hallelujah. So this is a confession of the believer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promises what? Is faithful. But what are we doing? Holding fast to our confession without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Making reference to God and what he has done. Hallelujah. Now in the Old King James, you see instead of confession, you see the word profession. Amen. Meaning the same thing. The word profession used in Hebrews 3, 4, and 10 implies confession. That's what it means. So our goal has been to interpret this verse 9. Now let's move to 1 John. Let's go back to our, our star scripture for the season. I believe by now you should be able to memorize this scripture with, without looking at it. Right? 1 John chapter 1 from verse 1. Let's read from verse 1 to 5. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was made manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Verse 5. This is a message we've heard from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Hallelujah. Now from these verses, we see John opening the letter with a, with, with, with a specific address to no one. That was what we said the last time, right? Not like in the format of his communication in the previous epistles where he would write the name of the person he's addressing. But here we saw clearly that his address was to no specific one. No one specifically. There's something I want us to also observe from this first verse, five verses. We observe the word we, as we did previously from verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. We have heard. Let's take note of that we there. In verse two, he talks about us. Life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. So we see we and us as well in verse 2. Right? In verse 3, we see also the usage of another we and us. And that, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. So there is an us and a we that he's making reference to here. Verse 4, we'll see, in verse 5, rather, we'll see another usage of the word we. This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. So we can conclude that this individual, that is John, inclusive, the we, the us, John himself inclusive, are born again and have fellowship with God as in verse 3, certain verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Which means that the us here are believers who are in fellowship with God. They are believers who have come to believe the message concerning the Christ. What Christ has done concerning sins. Are we together? Can we agree that this we are born again? Right? Good. So we can conclude that John is talking about himself and the witnesses, the we, the us, in this context. This means that their sins have been forgiven already. Are we together? Which means that the, the issue of forgiveness is not, uh, is, not, is not something futuristic here. It has already happened for them because they have fellowship with the Father. They are in union with the Father through the Son. Hallelujah. And when we go down to verse 6, we see a shift in address. You know, 6 to 10. It is from these verses that it appears that John was addressing, the people he was addressing change. 
the conversation changed here. We observe the pronouns he begins to, to use if we, verse 6, if we walk in verse 7, if we walk again in verse 8, if we confess in verse 9. We said in the previous uh, time that the we here is a language of communication. Hallelujah. Paul, uh, John rather cannot say in the previous five verses that they have received forgiveness, right? And then he will now come in verse 6. Let's read verse 6 from verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So how can he say that we are already forgiven of sin? Sin issue has been dealt with. And here we see that it's an if we say we have no sin. I mean, I said it last time. I said probably when he was writing, if this, the literal, you know, mean of what he was saying, then maybe he was sipping some wine and forgot his thought of conversation, probably. Are we together? So, we observe clearly that it's a mode of communication, right? It's a mode of communication. The we from verse 5 to verse 10 is a mode of communication. Who then are the we in verse 6 to verse 10? And we establish through the proofs we've seen from previous teachings that when we read verse 6, verse 7, we will come to this conclusion. This information concerning the we is addressing from verse 6 to verse 10. And what's the conclusion? That this we here are we're a category of people that were still in darkness. Right? These people are, were still in darkness. They were still in sin. And they have no fellowship with the Father, the Son, and fellow believers. So we can conclude that they were not born again. Therefore, First John chapter 1 verse 9 cannot be referring to a believer. Are we together? Do we agree? Alright, let's read the verses again. Verse, specifically verse 8 and verse, and verse 9. If we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, if we leave it here, it should be clear enough for us to agree that this passage is not telling the believer to confess his sins so that God will deal with the issue of our sins. Hallelujah. Now, let's, let's, let's prove further. Let's prove further. Let's, let's look at more. If this, is, if this seems not very, very uh, established, right, as an explanation for First John chapter 1 verse 9, let's probe the verse further. Let's probe the verse further. Let's remain much more in that verse 1, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 9, to have much more understanding. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the word confess in verse 9 here, we saw previously that it's from the Greek word 
homologio, right? What does it mean? Huh? It means to agree, right? It means to say the same thing as or to agree with. That is what the word means. It means to say the same as or to agree with. So to confess our sins, therefore, is to say the same thing about sins as God does. Right? Is to say the same thing as God is saying concerning our sins. That is, it is sin. Now in two instances, we see the word sins in that same verse. If we confess our sins, we see also he is faithful, just, faithful and just to forgive our sins. The usage of the word sins, two words, two places where it is used in the same verse. Now, let's probe what is the meaning of that sin in that particular verse. There are two words translated as sin in the New Testament, but different meanings. Slightly different meanings, right? There are two words, let me repeat again, that translated as sin in the New Testament, but have different meanings. Two words. These two words are hamartano and hamartia. Hamartano, let me spell it for us in the Greek. H-A-M-A-R-T-A-N-O. Let me spell it again. H-A-M-A-R-T-A-N-O. Hamartano, which is a verb. Are we together? Now, what is a verb? It's a word that explains an action. Right? Now, give me an example of a verb. Huh? Work is a verb, right? Is Chris a verb? What is Chris? It's a noun. Okay. So, we know what a noun is and what a verb is, right? Now, the second word for sin as used in a New Testament is hamartia. H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, which is a noun. We have a verb and a noun. Hamartano, meaning a verb. Hamartia, meaning a noun. Hallelujah. All right. Now, what does hamartano mean? It means to miss the mark. Rather, Yes, to miss the mark in a sense of actually sinful behavior. We say it's a verb, right? To miss the mark in the actual sense of behavior. Something you do from time to time. Okay? Something you do from time to time. It, 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 it is an action. Hamaratano referring to an action. Meaning you do something, you know, missing the mark as the Greek you know, translation will show. It is an action. And then secondly, hamartia, the noun, can also, means, means also can mean to miss the mark, but with a different sense. It is the inward condition, not the action. Amen? Which is a noun. It's referring to the inward, you know, condition, not the action. Hamartia can also mean a governing principle or power. The governing principle is referring to the governing principle or power. This is what we call the nature of sin. 
Are we together? Amen? Amen? Now, hamartano is a verb that means action, which we will refer to as, you know, seen in action, right? The act of sinning, sinning. We will see examples in scripture of how they are used. We will see it. Then, hamartia means what? A noun. Referring to the nature of sin. So, which one did Jesus Christ dealt with on the cross? Simple question. Eh? Hamartia or hamartano? Hamartia, right? But dealing with hamartia, which is a, the noun, also have effects on hamartano. Are we together? All right. Now, hold this thought with you. It is interesting and important to note that Paul uses one of these two words far more predominantly than he uses the other in his epistles. So guess with me, which one do you think Paul uses more in his epistles? Hamartano or Hamartia? Who is for Hamartia? Raise your hands up. Nobody wants to raise their hands up? Who is for Hamartia? Who is for Hamartano? The verb. So you are saying that Paul uses more of the action than the noun itself, right? Now, let's see. <clears throat> Amen. I think we read our Bible in this church. In the entirety of his epistle, he uses hamartano, the verb, only 14 times. Compared to an outstanding 55 times uses of hamartia, which is a noun. Is it shocking? So why do you think the emphasis of Paul's teaching was on the noun rather than the verb? The nature of sin. Are we thinking? Put on your thinking cap, right? Don't leave it at home. Don't, as you are here, don't be thinking about food. Think about what we are talking about here. Listen, if you remove your mind from thinking the scripture, you will not reach to a place of reasonable understanding. You don't suspend your mind when you come to scriptures. That will be indoctrination. What? Indoctrination. That's what they do in the world. We're talking about it with your pastors. They they make you think in a certain way. They don't want you to use your thinking to reason. Here, you think the scripture. The Holy Spirit uses your thinking to come to a place of reasonable conclusion. Are we together? So. Paul uses hamartia, which is a noun, 55 times. Most of Paul's uses of these two words are in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans. Paul uses much more in the book of Romans, where the ratio is even more outstanding. Six uses of hamartano in the entire book of Romans. Six times he uses hamartano, the verb, compared to 39 uses of hamartia, the noun. So we're asking, how does this help us in understanding 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? How does that help us? We'll see how it helps us in interpreting chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 9 of 1 John. Hallelujah. Be patient with me. So most of the time we see the word sin in Romans. Paul is not talking about sinful behavior, which is a verb. Paul We'll be talking about a sin condition in the book of Romans, which is the noun. Hamartia, which is the noun. Amen? Good. Again, 
This is the important, as I said, in understanding what John has been seeing concerning the confession of sin. Now, let's look at some examples of the uses of the word hamartia, the noun, and the uses of the word hamartano, the verb in the Bible. Right? First, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where the word hamartia, the noun is used. The noun is used, hamartia. Matthew chapter 1, verse 28, yeah, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. He will save his people from what? From their sins. The sins here is a noun. Hamartia. Check through the Greek, you know, Bible, you see that it is hamartia, meaning the noun, the condition, the, the, the identity, the nature of sin. Are we together? Matthew 26, verse 28. Matthew 26, verse 28. Now, we'll read this together. Let's read it together. When we reach the place where we see sins, let's call it hamartia. We're learning Greek, right? We'll read together. When we reach the place where we see sins, what should we call it? Hamartia. Okay, now, one, two, go. For, his, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, for the remission of hamartia. Are we together? So this is referring to the noun. The noun renditions, meaning the condition of sin, which Jesus came to deal with by the virtue of his blood. Through his blood. Hallelujah. Now let's make let's take a long read. Let's enjoy ourselves in church this morning by reading Romans chapter 6. Let's read Romans chapter 6 together. And let's see how Hamartia is used countless times in Romans chapter 6. We read from verse 1 to verse 23 together. And what's the rule here? Wherever we see sin, what should we replace it with? Hamartia. Hallelujah. So we're going to read together. Everybody, make sure you're reading. Right? One to go. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in hamartia that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to hamartia live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as we baptized into Christ Jesus, we baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. So, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of what might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of, slaves of, Slaves of nature of sin, right? All right, verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from the nature of sin, hamartia. All right, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For, death, for the day that he died, he died to Hamartia once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to. Why would we reckon? Because of what Christ has done, right? It's good. So we reckon ourselves to be dead to, indeed to Hamarathia, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let Hamarthia reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to Hamartia, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Are we together? Are you tired of reading? You are still in 12? I'm in 15 here, you are in 12. What's happening? All right, let me follow. Okay, so it means. All right, let me follow you here. You're giving me something different, right? Therefore, do not let what? Hamartia reign in your mortal body. That you should obey is lost. Verse 13. The devil is a liar. You must get this. The devil and his cohorts, they are liars. Right? All right. Verse 13, right? And let's go. Once you go. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness toward, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to, to God. For what shall not have dominion over you? For you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15. What then shall we? Amartano. I catch you. Who understand what happened here? Amen. Shall we what? What is Amartano? Action. Shifting from the noun to the what? To the verb. Amen. Shall we then, right? What then shall we, Amartano, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Now, this is what people get it wrong. That when we preach about grace, we are saying that people should continue in sin. We are saying that you are dead to sin hmm? so that you will not live in sin. Do you understand? The nature have died. So therefore, if you find yourself sinning, you are not doing what is your nature. Do you understand? You don't have the nature of sin because by virtue of your believing in what Christ has done, that nature is terminated. Say, Hamatano has been hamatized. <laughs> That's not what is in the Greek. Hmm? What has happened to Hamartia is Aphesis um, Hamartia. Hmm? That has been forgive the forgiveness of sin. Are we together? Now, what then shall we Hamartano? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Are we together? Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of... Whether, 
of what? Now or verb? You guys are, you know how to read the Bible now very well. Good. So, whether of hamartia leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of hamartia, exactly, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. Amen? This is our reality. You are no longer under hamartia. You've been delivered from that fellow, that nature, that individual, that nature. And having been set free from what? Hamartia, correct. You became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. How can you be saying like that? You say you speak in human, in human terms, right? For just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness, let's continue, and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 22. But now, having been set free from Hamartia, if anybody says Hamartia, no, tap the person. You've been saved from that nature. And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end word, everlasting life. Say, everlasting life is my new nature. Everlasting life is my new nature. Everlasting life means everlasting. Even in the Greek, it means it's everlasting. It means the way. Hallelujah. 23. For the wages of what? Antipity. I think it says the wages sin pays. Is it tipity? Or which translation is that? The wages of hamartia is what? Is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Let's look at Hamartano, the verb. Matthew 18, verse 15. This knowledge, when it sinks into you, when we come to it, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, you will know what is seen. Hallelujah. Now, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother, what is here? Hamartano, right? The verb. If your brother does something that is wrong, sin against you, an action against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, I'm not trying to teach what is in this, but I'm just trying to show us the use of the words, right? That's what we want to do as students of the word. Good. Then we have another one, Matthew uh, 27, verse 4. There are many, but let's just pick, pick a few. Matthew 27, verse 4. We will see the word sin is referring to an action. Not a noun, but an action. Not a nature, but an action. An action. Sin, I have seen by, let's read from verse 25 to have, uh, verse five, 3 to have context. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had sinned, condemned, had been condemned, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, 
saying, I have what? I have sinned. I have done something that is wrong. I have amaratano, right? No. Four. And he threw down the pieces, yeah? Saying that I have sinned by betraying the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Like, it's not our business. That's what they're saying here. So the users of the word sin here is referring to his action of selling Jesus as being the sin here. An action word, right? There's another one in Acts chapter 25, verse 8. Amaratano. Acts chapter 25, verse 8. Acts 25, verse 8. Acts 25, verse 10. While he was, while he answered to him, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended anyone indeed. That offense there is referring to action, which is a sin. Hallelujah. The Amartano there. Romans 2, verse 12. Romans 2, verse 12. Romans 2, verse 12. For as many as have Hamartano without law will also perish without law. And as many as have seen that is Hamartano in the law will be judged by the law. Action words. And many, many, many others. So, in the two instances we see the words sins in the first John chapter 1, verse 9. Which one do John use this? Now, we are bringing this knowledge to, to, to interpret 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. So let's go back. Give us 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's do our census again. Right? Which, some people are even checking their uh, Greek. Okay, Chris, check. Let it not be that I'm the one blowing you now. Tell me what that word is there in First John chapter 1 verse 9. Who else will check? Yes? Hamartia, right? Who else? Hamartia, right? Meaning what? The nature, right? So, do the believer have the nature of sin problem? Hmm? Will John be speaking to believers in 1 verse 9? Eh? Okay. Let's move to see how John was speaking to believers in chapter 2. Immediately after that chapter 10. Look at chapter 2 verse 1. Chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. First John chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. First John chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. 2 verse 1 and 2. My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not what? Sin. Now, which one is used here? Action. The other one is what? Is noun. So when he's speaking to believers, he talks about action. And even the action, what is the solution for the action? Is it confess your sin? That you may, that, that, that even one sins, which is the action word, the hamartano, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Look at verse 2. And he himself is what? Is the propitiation for our sins. That is the sacrifice for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the whole world. 
So when John is speaking to unbelievers, he will address the nature of sin, which have not been dealt with. But when he is talking to believers, he will refer to their actions, which already have a solution that has already been provided. Hallelujah. Now, with this proof, do you agree that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is not a scripture for believers? Who still have doubt? You don't understand. I can still explain in another way. Hmm? I can still explain in another way, but these two ways of explaining this verse to help us to understand what the conversation here is. This further confirms that John wasn't speaking to believers, but because the believers do not have the nature of sin, right? He never addresses the believers to have an hamartia. He never. Hallelujah. So let's round up. Let's conclude so that we can, can leave this verse 9 and move to some, some weightier issues like repentance. Amen. We've talked about confess, right? We also talk about repent. Yes. I'm telling you this year, you will know. You will learn. Amen. Don't take that serious, though. If you know, you know. Let's wrap it up. Summa let's summarize it. The unusual beginning of the first Epistle of John, that is 1 John, can be attributed to the fact that the first chapter of 1 John was addressed to Gnostics. I'm just summarizing what we've been talking about in 1 John, right? Was addressed to Gnostics rather than to believers. Who did not believe that Jesus had come in the flesh? We've established this fact. There are certain set of people within that congregation who are called Gnostics, who don't believe that God has sent Jesus Christ to come in the flesh. And any man that, does, that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ has become man hmm, is an antichrist. means that you can never believe, you can never be called a believer or a child of God if you don't believe that Jesus became a man. Because it is only by becoming a man that he can die. Are we together? It is only by becoming a man that he can die for sins. Good. So that is the background context of First John. Now the Gnostics held the same belief that they were sinless. They hold this belief that they don't have sin issue. It seems like 80s people, right? Seems like people that don't believe that there is God. Hmm? It seems as though they are in the same category with atheists, but they just they don't believe that God came in the flesh. Therefore, they don't have sin nature because they've never agreed that God, through Christ, have sent Jesus Christ to die for their sins. So, according to 
verse 8 to 9, we saw the apostles John was telling them that God will pardon them and purify them of all unrighteousness if they will acknowledge and confess their sins. Confessing here will mean that they are agreeing with God concerning their nature in sin. Are we together? All right. Now, 1 John 1.9 is essentially a scripture about salvation. All right? It's a scripture concerning salvation. It exhorts the sinner, that is the unbeliever, to admit and acknowledge his sinful status or sin root, if there's anything like that. Sin root, not single root. Sin root. So that he will be born again through faith in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And to have his old sinful state replaced with a new righteous state. The heretical Gnostics doctrine rejected the idea that humans are sinners as a result of the rejection of God. In the first chapter of John, John openly addressed this doctrine and exhorted the Gnostics to acknowledge their sinful condition. And accept the Lord's whole forgiveness and cleansing from all wickedness via his accomplished work on the cross. Now, I'm, I'm reading this like a commentary concerning chapter 1 entirely. Hallelujah. So, is a Christian today confessing? With all this explanation for how many weeks now? Four weeks today. Should a Christian confess sin? Yes or no? Huh? No, right? No, right? Okay. On in what context? In what context? Huh? Huh? To God. In the context of so that I will receive forgiveness. Right? But can a Christian sin? A Christian can sin, right? So when a Christian sins, does he confess his sin in the light of the word homolo geo or geo? Intelligent people, young people, intelligent people, think. Hmm? Does he acknowledge that sin is sin? Right? Does a believer acknowledge that sin is sin? Do believers refuse that sin is not sin? Is fornication sin? Does salvation change the status of fornication being sin? Okay. So, if a believer fornicates, what does he, when it comes to God, what does he do? Hamathia, not rather, confess in the light of saying, I have sinned, so that God will forgive me. Or confess in the light of, I agree that this is sin, for sin. So, the context of confession to a believer is different from an unbeliever. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't know how to write this, ask your neighbor, how did you write it? Because I don't know other simpler words to use in explaining this. 
Pastor Ima, is it, is it settled? Mm-hmm. Yes, like the way the Bible says in James, confess our sins one to another, right? Pastor Chidi, I agree, I have wronged you. Mm-hmm. This thing I did, I didn't try. It's wrong. Do you understand? It's wrong. So when we come to God, we cannot come to God and say, ah, uh, I'm telling God this is wrong, so that God will now forgive me. That's not the condition. Are we together? That's not what he's meaning. So I acknowledge that this is wrong. So when I come to God, am I coming to God for forgiveness? I'm coming to God in thanksgiving. Ah, you marry wife. Marry somebody, no Bible law. I'm telling you, if not, you will learn. So, oh Lord, understand this, please. Right? Listen, to, let me just try to, I try to write in English. I wish you can speak my language. I will explain it to you in my tribe <laughs> so that you understand very well. But let me just explain this in a few simpler words. It is important for the believer to confess his sins. Now, listen. So when we say confess his sins, we know the context of what we are talking about. Not for the sake that God will forgive us. Because God has already forgiven. See, the date of Christ, right? We're singing of hopes of what? How, how did what was this, the song we sang earlier on? The action of Christ deals with sin forever. Your forgiveness, as I always say, is not instrumental. First John Chapter 2 verse 2 says, if we sin, we have an advocate. So you are not saying if we sin, you could have said if we sin, confess. But it says we have a provision already in God for our hamartano. Amen? So we are not living in guilt of maybe when the trumpet sound, then I will miss heaven. This is what we call eternal salvation. That is being confused and misinterpreted as saying that, you know, we are telling people that they should control to sin because uh, there's, no, there's no problem. That's not what we're saying. The understanding of grace will bring you to a place that you don't sin because it is not your nature to sin. So when you are sin, you are misbehaving. That's not your nature because God has removed that nature from you. So you are not portraying your nature as a believer in Christ. So now, however, there is a significant distinction between the confession of sin of the believer and the unbeliever. I confess my transgression, agreeing with God that what I did is wrong. With the knowledge that they have all been forgiven already. I do not confess my transgression to seek forgiveness. As a result of my relationship with my heavenly father, I am able to confess my sins to him. Right? As a result of a relationship I already have with him. I'm able to reason with God and say, God, this thing I did is wrong. Right? And why would I say it is wrong? I can discuss it with him because he's my father. Accepts his grace in the light of my frailty. And proceed with the assurance that he has already pardoned me via the atonement of his son. And I no longer fret. I no longer live in fear over the impossibility of confessing every sin 
For I am convinced that it is the blood of Jesus, not my confession, that will ultimately deliver me. Tamamusin, do you understand? All right, let's pray. Just speak to God. Say, Father, thank you, Lord, for this understanding. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.